Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, uh, I'd like to start off this morning's sermon with a vote. Okay, you ready to vote? I think there's an election coming up soon anyway, but all right. So, would you prefer that I start this sermon with an interesting story or a boring list? Interesting story. So let's take a vote. Who wants an interesting story? All right. So let me look around. And boring list. Boring list. I think boring list one. All right. Boring list it is. Here we go. <clears throat> All right. And uh, it, I want your eyes to definitely glaze over as I read this list. It's not interesting. It's boring. It's not important. And definitely don't notice if I've underlined any, any names up here on this list. Okay, this is the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Isn't this great? Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nachshon. Nachshon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. You're not supposed to be paying attention. It's supposed to be boring. Okay. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I could go on, but I think that's enough for now. I, I've tortured you enough. You look, you look uh, pained in your faces. Oh, Eric's falling asleep. Wake him up, Bonnie. All right. I think that's enough. Now, I know we all love boring lists. As our vote clearly indicated, I was actually surprised. I written in this sermon, I was going to do the boring list either way. I don't know. It was rigged. But actually, a lot of people voted for the boring list. I was very, very surprised. But it's actually, you know, more interesting, I think, than it appears. In fact, I would qualify it as a remarkable list. This is the beginning of the New Covenant Scriptures, the very first chapter of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. And uh, this part was last week's New Covenant Parsha. Uh, this list is remarkable because it roots Yeshua in the Hebrew Scriptures and the Jewish people. However, it includes two categories of people that are usually not in these genealogy lists. The Bible is full of genealogy lists. Have you ever read through Genesis and you're like, this, this person, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat Huzipu, Huzipu begat Fulano de King, Tal, Fulano de Tal begat, did I say that right? Okay, no? No? I'm asking someone that speaks Brazilian Portuguese. You can't weigh in on that. <laughs> Fulano de Tal? Is that good? All right. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. So and so, etc. Um, and so, by beginning a list like this, Matthew, what is he doing? He's he's not trying to bore us, but he's trying to tell us who bore whom. Ah, waka waka. All right. It's a verb pun. But Matthew is, is rooting this story in, of Yeshua in the Genesis story, right? With this genealogy and the people of Israel. He's rooting a Yeshua in the Jewish people literally, right? With this genealogy and literarily, right? Because it's a literary device that's used in Genesis um, with the same list that you would find in, in Genesis with the genealogies. But this is not the remarkable part. Matthew has included five women, which were usually not included in Genesis genealogies. Did you ever read a genealogy with, that included women in Genesis? It usually doesn't happen, right? So Matthew is doing something new here, right? Who does he include? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Miriam, or Mary, the mother of Yeshua, who's actually at the end of the list. I, I spared you the, the whole list, but she comes at the end. And uh, everyone uh, except for Mary, uh, that is Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, um, are not only women, but there's another interesting characteristic that they have in common. Have you, have you thought about this? They are either not of Israel, or they are associated by being outside of Israel. They are outsiders, right? They are not Jewish. They are Gentile or either Gentile adjacent. It's, it's ambiguous. Um, Rahab was definitely a Canaanite, right? Ruth was from Moab, right? A Moabitess. And Bathsheba, uh, well, her first husband was called Uriah the Hittite. So that means she was probably a Hittite too. And you may not know what a Hittite is, but it's definitely not an Israelite. You know that, right? <laughs> I mean, I think it's like a stalactite. I think it's similar or stalagmite Hittite, but it's definitely not Israelite. I think I got that right. Okay. Uh, but the only definite Jew in this, in this uh, genealogy list is Miriam. Yeshua's mother, Mary. So why does Matthew do this? He's anchoring the story of Yeshua and the story of the Jewish people and intertwining it with the nations. That's very important to Matthew. He's intertwining it. These women are also not just Gentiles. They are righteous. They are righteous among the nations, right? Have you heard that, that phrase used, righteous among the nations? It's applied to um, those that helped save uh, Jews in the Holocaust that were not Jewish, like Corey Ten Boom. So these women are like that. Uh, they show remarkable kindness and compassion in their stories, faithfulness, bravery, and uh, chutzpah is the Yiddish word for like gumption. Uh, the other remarkable thing is that uh, they are women, right? Well, let's go back to that for a second. The ancient Near Eastern world of Genesis and the Second Temple Jewish world of the New Testament, it often leaves out women, right? But the Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't, right? And Matthew doesn't. I think that's interesting, you know, which if you ask me, it's not really fair because I know from experience that the process of begetting, right? The woman does the majority of the heavy lifting, right? 
you know, it's like Adam begat, you know, Seth and, you know, well, I think it might be important to mention the woman who's doing the actual begetting. But anyway, I guess I'll talk to Moses about that at some point. I have a bone to pick with him. And the third remarkable thing is that though they are from the nations, right, they all connect to Israel in some way. How do they do that? Well, Tamar, and these are, remember, these are all women in the line of Yeshua, right? The, the literal, they're literal, literally ancestors of the Messiah who is Jewish, okay? Tamar teaches righteousness to Judah. I don't know if you've ever read this story. And uh, Judah is, is very important because it's the, the tribe from which King David and Yeshua are from. Rahab protects the Israelite scouts from the other Canaanites, right? She's very unique in that regard. Ruth shows remarkable loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She forsakes the false gods of Moab for the God of Israel. Bathsheba, wow. <laughs> She is loyal to David, and she's loyal to Solomon, the son that she had with David, despite what David did. We know what David did, right? He took her as his wife. We don't know if she consented to this, right? It doesn't say. Possibly not. And he also murdered her first husband, and yet she shows loyalty to David and loyalty to Solomon, a remarkable woman. So Matthew's not just drawing out the fact that they're women or the fact that they have some of them non-Israelite origin, but the fact that they have committed to do what? To be a blessing to Israel. They are honored as the ancestors of the Messiah in the very beginning of the New Testament. Not Not such a boring list now, is it, right? We're like, wow, these remarkable Gentile women lead to Messiah Yeshua. It's amazing. Often in Messianic Judaism, we emphasize the Jewishness of the New Testament and the Jewishness of Yeshua and uh, the Jewishness of the salvation story, right? With, with Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and through you, all the nations will be blessed, right? We do that in Messianic Judaism and that's good, but we must also acknowledge the way in which non-Jews, the righteous among the nations are crucial to this story. They're crucial to this story to the background of the Messiah himself and the salvation story of humans. I think Kathy was kind of alluding to that uh, this morning during the Aliyah. For example, this week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, it has the important calling of Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Abraham is the beginning of the Jewish people and the beginning of God's consistent salvation plans to bless the nations through Israel. We talk a lot about that in Messianic Judaism, the throughness. It's a word I made up, but it's, <laughs> it's mediation of blessing through, the, through Israel to, to the nations. Um, we talk about that a lot. But in this week's Parsha, there are actually two remarkable Gentiles that are important to Abraham's story. And thus, the salvation narrative of the entire Bible. Now, uh, the first one comes where there's a war. There's a war between five kings and four kings in Genesis 14. And Abraham rescues his nephew, Lot, who's living in the, he's like in the middle of this fight. Um, And afterwards, there's a mysterious figure who he only gets like three verses 
in the in the entire Torah, but he's a pivotal figure in Second Temple Jewish literature, and he shows up in the Book of Hebrews as well in the New Testament. And uh, I don't can you guess who it is? Melchizedek. All right, we we get some Torah points over here. Very nice. All right, so let's read about him. Now, after he returned from defeating Chador Lomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. So this is after the battle. Then Melchizedek, the first time he's mentioned, and the only time he's mentioned in the Torah, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of El Elyon. That's God most high in Hebrew. He blessed him and said this, that is, he blessed Abraham. Blessed be Abram, Abraham, by El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elyon, who gave over your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Melchizedek, Melchizedek, uh, names in Hebrew, excuse me, names in Hebrew have a meaning, right? So it means Melchi is my king and Sedek is righteous. So his name means my king is righteous. My king is righteous, but it says that he is also a king. So he's a king whose name means his identity means my king is righteous. So who is his king? El Elyon, right? His very name, his very identity points to another king. That's how humble he is, right? And uh, so his name means my king is righteous. And that points to the king of kings, El Elyon, God most high. Also, he is officially the first Kohen in the Hebrew Bible. The first person that is named a priest, the word Cohen appears here. Um, and this is way before, obviously, Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons and the priestly order, right? It's way before that. So he's a priest and a king. He's a priest and a king. Who was the first person that was supposed to be a priest and a king? Actually, two people. Adam and Eve. That's right. Hey, okay. This is what we're talking about a lot in here. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were supposed to be. The humans serving God in the garden temple and ruling by serving and gardening and blessing the rest of creation. I preached on this before, but remember in the beginning, God created the humans and gave them dominion over the animals and the earth, right? In other words, he made them kind of like kings, but we know what is the best way to be a king? To serve. That's right. We've talked about that a lot. The best way to be a king is to serve, is to be humble, right? So the humans were to do what? They were to serve God, right? And serve the rest of creation. They were to garden the garden and establish a shepherding care over the earth and uh, the rest of creation. The best way to be a servant king is by serving, right? Obedience to God and through loving service, right? And that's how we're trying to be here at Tikvot Israel. Amen. And this was the pattern in creation originally. This is how it's supposed to be. The garden was not just a kingdom. The garden was a temple, 
right? The dwelling place of God, where the humans met with God and served God. And what does a temple need? Can't have a temple without priests. You need kohanim, right? So not only were the humans servant kings and shepherds, the humans were also priests. But what does this mean? Well, Genesis 2.15, and I've talked about this before, but it gives us two verbs that the humans were to do regarding the garden. What were we to do? Oved and Shomer, work and guard, right? Cultivate and protect. And these are the verbs described for the priests later on in Leviticus. So here we get a, a little picture of what a priest does with the first humans. And a priest is also a representative, the humans were supposed to represent God to the rest of creation and represent the rest of creation to God. They're a mediating presence between God and the rest of creation. So therefore, Adam and Eve, and by extension, all of us are servants, right? We're shepherding kings and we are priestly representatives by our doing what? Service and prayers, avodah, right? Devotion and love. So let's go back now to Melchizedek, right? Melchizedek is the first official king and priest, like with those actual Hebrew words, right? So it's like, oh, this is who Adam was supposed to be, right? Um, he's, uh, he's, and he's not a descendant of Abraham. He can't be because he's a contemporary with Abraham. He blesses Abraham, right? So he's not in the line of Israel. He's from somewhere else. And his origin is mysterious. He basically comes out of nowhere and is not mentioned again until Psalm 110 and uh, the book of Hebrews. So he's linked to blessing Abraham and being a priest to God and to Abraham. So let's look at the passage again now that we know all of this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of Elion. He blessed him. He blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, who gave over your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let's leave it up there for a second, please. So notice what happens here. Abraham, here called Abram, tithes, gives a tenth to Melchizedek. Where do we see that? Well, that's what you would do to a temple priest, right? Later on, right, they tithe to the priest, to the Kohanim in the days of the temple. We notice all, also that Melchizedek is king of, where, where is that? Salem, Salem, or Shalem. Almost all scholars identify this as the city Uru Salem, Uru Salem, which is a Canaanite way of saying city of Shalem, Uru Shalem. What, what city does that sound like? Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, right? <laughs> so most scholars think that he is the king of Jerusalem. That's the area where he is king, okay? Who's the first Israelite king of Jerusalem who finally conquers that area after Joshua couldn't do it? King David. So this Melchizedek is linked to King David, because he's the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, and he's linked to Abraham because he blesses Abraham and Abraham tithes to him as a priest, right? 
So in Second Temple Jewish literature, that's literature in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, they picked up on this guy and they're like, oh, this is kind of like a messianic figure, right? Do you see the, these connections that they were making? The, the, the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah like this, who would be a priest and a king who would be connected to Abraham and connected to David. Isn't that the first line of the New Testament that we just read? <laughs> this is the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah. This was the boring list. Did your eyes glaze over? Did you catch this? Son of David, son of Abraham, right? And in the book of Hebrews, they say that Yeshua is a priest like this in the order of Melchizedek, right? Because he's not descended from Aaron. He's descended from David. Yeshua is linked to David and Abraham. And Yeshua is a king who will rule and reign from where? From Jerusalem, from Salem, like David, and like Melchizedek did. And Yeshua is a high priest, like Melchizedek, but forever in the temple of the heavenly realm. Yeshua is rooted in Israel, and he is linked to the nations. Yeshua is rooted in Israel and he is linked to the nations. His story as laid out in the new covenant highlights the righteous among the nations, even as it places Yeshua within Jewish space and within Jewish history. Not such a boring list after all, is it? Yeah. There's one more often overlooked figure that I wanted to mention in this week's Parsha that uh, we're going to look at. This is from Genesis 16. So let's take a look at this story. Now, Sarai, that's uh, Sarah later, Abram's wife, had not borne him children, but she had an Egyptian slave girl. Her name was Hagar or Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Look now, Adonai has prevented me from having children. Go please to my slave girl. Perhaps I'll get a son by her. Abram listened to Sarai's voice. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her slave girl, Hagar, the Egyptian, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to Abram, her husband, to be his wife. Then he went to Hagar and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, in her eyes, her mistress was belittled. So Sarai said to Abram, the wrong done to me is because of you. I placed my slave girl in your embrace. Now that she saw, uh, now that she saw that she became pregnant. So in her eyes, I am belittled. May Adonai judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, look, your slave girl is in your hand. Do to her what is good in your eyes. So Sarai afflicted her. And she fled from her presence. Then the angel of Adonai found her by the spring of water in the wilderness. Next to the spring on the way to Shur, he said, Hagar, Sarai's slave girl, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of Adonai said, return to your mistress and humble yourself under her hand. Then the angel of Adonai said to her, I will bountifully multiply your seed and they will be too many to count. Then the angel of Adonai said to her, behold, you are pregnant and about to bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael or God hears for Adonai has heard your affliction. 
He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And away from all his brothers will he dwell. So she called Adonai, who was speaking to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, would I have gone here indeed looking for him who looks after me? That is why the well is named the well of the living one who sees me. A couple of important things here. Hagar, her name, like Melchizedek, has a meaning, right? As all names in the Bible do. The original Hebrew text had no vowels. So her name is the same as Hagar. It could be read as Hagar, which means the stranger, the resident alien. The Gerim, the foreigners in the midst of Israel, were who Israel was supposed to treat kindly because they were Gerim. We were strangers in, in, in Egypt, actually. So treat the Gerim kindly. If you were here last week, Rabbi Michael Rudolph mentioned the foreigner among Israel uh, many times. The Ger is, is the, the word for that as an analogy to non-Jews in a Messianic Jewish synagogue. But Abraham and Sarah do not treat this Ger with compassion, quite the opposite. Secondly, we understand this woman, uh, a foreigner, whose name actually means a stranger or foreigner, is uh, from Egypt and also an, an enslaved person. It's like the reversal of the Exodus story. Have you ever thought about that? Abraham and Sarah are kind of like Pharaoh in this case. They enslave an Egyptian woman and they mistreat and abuse her and they send her where? Into the wilderness. That's where we wandered, right? Abraham and Sarah are supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And here, they're doing the opposite. The role of the later Pharaoh in the, in the Exodus story. You know, a lot of ancient texts, you know, in uh, Mesopotamia and Babylon, they glorify and praise the people that they're about. Oh, this king was so great and this people is so great and they did all these great things. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible shows us the faults and the missteps of our Jewish ancestors in the scriptures and the glory and praise goes to God, goes to Hashem. Finally, we see from this story that Hagar is the first person, the first person, male or female, to be visited by an angel of the Lord. This is before, you know, obviously before Isaac and that whole story. And uh, she's the first person, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, to actually name God. The first person. And she happens to be female and Gentile and enslaved. And the name she gives God is striking as well. God is the one who sees. God is the one who notices. He notices the hurting. He cares for the ones that society usually abuses or overlooks. Hagar is a blessing by virtue of her immense character in the face of oppression. And who would have read this story? Would have been Jews, right? Jews over hundreds and hundreds of years must have read this story and been struck by how terrible our patriarchs were <laughs> and how God cares for what we think of as our enemies sometimes, right? The Egyptians in, in the Bible are often the enemies of Israel, but here, this is a, a righteous, righteous person from, from Egypt. 
So God cares for these people. As a Messianic synagogue, we emphasize the Jewishness of Yeshua and the importance of Abraham's calling uh, uh, to the Jews to be a light to the nations. And that's good. And we also emphasize the righteous among the nations in this beautiful book that we have called the Bible. We should admit the flaws in our patriarchs and matriarchs because that just brings out the grace and the compassion of God so we can move toward humility. The salvation story is not about how great the Jews are, but it's about how God works through the Jewish people and the nations to bring about redemption. The nations are a part of the genealogy of Yeshua, the very background of Yeshua. Uh, they, uh, the amazing messianic figure of Melchizedek is from the nations and Hagar from Egypt is the first person in the Bible to name God. The Bible shows that God links the nations to Israel. He links them to bring salvation and restoration. So let's seek to be humble and seek to be a blessing to others like these amazing Gentiles in the scriptures. We can seek to bless like Rahab. We can seek to bless like Melchizedek. We can seek to name God's faithfulness like Hagar. Whether Jew or Gentile, we are linked to each other in Messiah Yeshua. So let's seek to bless. Amen. All right. Abba, um, Father, thank you that you have given us your scriptures, your these amazing narratives of hope and uh, the beauty that, that is within them, especially uh, these amazing righteous among the nations. And uh, help us to, uh, to remember to, in our daily lives, in our regular lives, to be a blessing, not to be puffed up um, or to wish that we were, you know, Jewish or not Jewish or, or something like that, but to, to, to be uh, mutual blessers um, out of our distinct identities and uh, help us to, uh, to take to heart these, these lessons and to follow you, not just, you know, to hear it from the Bema, um, but to enact it in our lives and to, to really be a blessing to those around us who, uh, who might be hurting or who might feel uh, far from God, that they are valued and they're made in his image and that uh, you're doing, a, uh, you're still continuing this beautiful story, linking the nations to Israel, the root the, 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 the Jewish root, um, uh, to bring about your salvation. You're still doing that even today, Lord. So help us to, to partner with you where you're doing that. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.